Hi, welcome to Help with Parkinson's podcast number 26. Our guest today is Dr. Supermanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center. And I'm your host, Warren Budfinick. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sue. Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me again. Happy New Year to all the listeners. Same here. So uh, today's talk is going to be about sarcopenia. And that's not a word you hear all the time, but uh, it's the loss of muscle tissue as a natural part of aging process. It's also called ESS, is the early stage sarcopenia. Dr. Soup, could you give the listeners an explanation of how this relates to Parkinson's? Right. Um, so this is a very new area of research and a lot of people looking into it. Um, it came about because we were seeing that elderly patients were having muscle loss. And there have been a number of aging-related studies that looked at muscle loss as people got older, as many of the listeners would relate to this. Um, as people get older, they seem to lose subcutaneous fat. Uh, and so, for example, chubby cheeks are very rare after the age of 60 or 65. And um, generally, the fat composition in the body changes. Now, people used to think that that's what made people look thinner. But when we started quantifying muscle mass and muscle bulk, we found out that not only fat redistribution occurs, but muscle redistribution also occurs. One of the most dramatic things that uh, came about was when we started looking at muscle mass in people who were immobilized. So for example, if somebody fell down and had a fracture of their femur and they had to be put in a cast, um, their limb was put in a cast and immobilized, so they were not able to move the limb. And in previous generation of treatment, meaning over the last 15 or 20 years, things have changed. But before that, uh, the cast was kept in place for several weeks, sometimes up to six to eight weeks. Sometimes they had to put the cast on. And when the cast was removed, what we discovered was that the muscle underneath the cast had substantially become thinner, smaller, and the bulk of the muscle had become smaller. And that was a surprise. And people started looking at it to see why is that happening? So it turns out that when uh, muscles not used and it's immobilized, certain um, genes in the muscle start expressing itself. And there are many genes in this family, but uh, one particular group of genes called the RAS, RAS uh, genes uh, just comes on and it's called uh, RED1 and RED2, R-E-D-D-1 and R-E-D-D-2. There are two of those genes that, that uh, appear to be uh, causing this. When the genes start expressing themselves, then uh, the muscle seems to start losing its bulk. So there seems to be a trigger that when you don't move, the body turns on certain genes that... Uh, makes the muscle less bulky, um, less muscle tissues there. Uh, Maybe a defense mechanism, we don't know, but but this is an area of intense research. And there are people looking at seeing how red one, red two turnoff can be uh, abolished. 
So we like to see patients um, not lose that much muscle. And if we can just uh, turn off these genes when they come on, uh, then perhaps there would be a way to get around it. So there's a lot of, lot of research going on in this. And particularly, this is important for the elderly because if your muscle mass becomes less, uh, and you're already frail, then it becomes even worse. Now, what's the connection between all, all of what I said and Parkinson's disease? As many of you already know, uh, one of the cardinal features of Parkinson's disease is what we call bradykinesia. Brady means the slow, kinesis means movement. So bradykinesia means reduced movement. Now, uh, if you think about it, what I said earlier, uh, if you put the limb in a cast, then there's no movement at all. And that's called akinesia. Akinesia means no movement at all. And bradykinesia means reduced movement. So if you think about it, if akinesia produces dramatic loss of muscle bulk, and the estimate is about 20% loss after five weeks of immobilization, then one would think that you would have a muscle loss when you have reduced movement also. Of course, the reduced movement is of varying degrees. For example, early mild Parkinson patients, they may not have a lot of bradykinesia, but if they are uh, more severely advanced in their disease, and in particular, if they are immobilized because of their illness and they are staying in nursing homes, for example, wheelchair or bedridden patients, uh, then of course, uh, it's almost the equivalent of being in a cast. So in that case, you are likely to lose more of your muscle mass uh, in this manner. So there are, there's a lot of interest in this. Uh, my own group is also interested in it. We just started studying this. And um, this uh, is an area of significant concern and interest to uh, the community. Uh, I can talk a little bit about the laboratory-based research first, but I'm going to pause for a second to just make sure that, Warren, you, you think I was clear enough in how I explained what sarcopenia is and what its relationship with Parkinson's disease. Yeah, it's kind of uh, the, the, the ideal disease for, for slowness. It's, that's why they have these studies that are showing these big changes in uh, percentages between Parkinson's patients and non-Parkinson's patients, but it's, they're skewed because Parkinson's patients are, very, are just slow. And when you get a group of them in a nursing home, that group is all going to be slow. So it, um, you just have to be careful when you look at the literature because it's, it's suddenly just stray sometimes. That's why we keep telling you, you know, don't, don't, don't list everything you, you read. And, um, but there's different schools of thought. One school of thought is they're going to look for biomarkers to see if uh, they could find somebody with sarcopenia at an early age and say, think maybe they have Parkinson's because maybe there's some genetic pathway that's uh, leading that way. So there's, there's all different, like Dr. Soup said, there's all different studies out there because they, they see it happen, but they don't know what's causing it. Does that make sense, Dr. Soup? Right. Correct. So, um, let me take it one step further. So the study that Warren is talking about um, came in a fairly reputed journal called Gerontology. It came in September of uh, 2018. 
what these investigators did was that um, they observed uh, well over um, 400 patients, um, and they were all patients over the age of 65, and they've had a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And what they did was they took the whole gamut of people, uh, meaning all comers, any which way they had Parkinson's disease, whether they were nursing home bound, wheelchair bound, ambulatory, they just took all of them and then calculated the amount of people who had sarcopenia, loss of muscle. And they defined that by uh, saying that you need to meet a certain criteria. You need to have at least 15% loss from your baseline. And when they did that, they discovered that over 50% of all takers, all PD patients, had problems with sarcopenia. When compared that to non-PD controls, meaning people who don't have Parkinson's disease, but who are in a similar situation, uh, it was uh, very low, like less than 10%. But that doesn't surprise because when you look closely at who had the most problems, they were the people who were in nursing homes and who were immobilized, meaning they were not active and going out and doing things and so on and so forth. And that's exactly what we see when we do the experiment in the laboratory. So if you take a rat, and if the rat is put in a cast, so you, you, you anesthetize the rat, and you put one of its limbs in a cast, uh, basically similar to what you would do when you had a fracture. And you put the cast on for three weeks, and then after that, you remove the cast and then you measure the amount of muscle that's lost. You see that there is about 20% decrement in these, in these rats because that limb, the limb that was put in a cast, actually loses quite a bit of the muscle bulk. And when you take the muscle and look at, look at it genetically, you have this red 2 gene expression has gone up. Now, if you exercise that muscle, in other words, you somehow make the rat go back and do all the things. It takes a while for the rat to recover that muscle bulk several months before it actually recovers. The three weeks of immobilization takes several months for the rat to recover. And we think that's related to this gene expression. The gene expression doesn't turn off for, for a good while. So the lesson we learned from that is that uh, perhaps this is true in humans too. So we started looking at humans. And again, the same thing was noted, that once you lose muscle bulk, it takes a long time for you to get it back. Now, if you do the same experiment in Parkinsonian rats, now this time you don't put a cast on, you just make the animal Parkinsonian on one side of the body. We would call it hemi-Parkinsonian. There are several ways of doing this. And then what we see is that Again, there's a change in muscle mass between the two sides, but it takes a while for this to happen. Unlike the cast situation where it shows up in three weeks, this one shows up much more slowly, more like three to four months later, you start seeing the change in muscle pull. So the message here is that you want to keep using your limbs. Now, in the Parkinson's situation, how do you do that? You don't have to do anything special. You just don't have, want to stop doing things. So how do you do that again? If you're optimally treated, if your medications are working well, 
And I tell my patients all the time, take your medicines on time, stay on schedule, and be active. So long as you're doing that, then your risk of losing muscle bulk is very low. Now, if you don't take your medicines correctly, in other words, you're suboptimally treated, and you're having a lot of off periods, periods where your muscles are not being able to work normally, they're stiff and slow, and you're having half the day spent in the off time, obviously it's like half the time you are in a cast. You don't want that happening. So optimal treatment is the first step, making sure your muscles are working and working well throughout the day. And second thing that happens when you get older is there's a tendency for people to say, I don't want to do a lot of things. I want to be active. So people who used to have hobbies and interests, they used to go for walks, they used to go hunting, they used to fish, they used to um, go bowling, they used to dance with their spouse, uh, they used to do all kinds of sporting activities, maybe ping pong or uh, racquetball or whatever. Some sort of physical activity was part of their normal routine. And then once they get retired or when they get to a stage of their age, they said, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, this abrupt change in or reduction in physical activity is not a great thing. Uh, if you want to turn off something, do it gradually and pick up something else, which would give you some amount of physical mobility activity so that the muscles are being fully used. And so that is the second part of the message. You don't have to go do a lot of new exercise, muscle building, and take a lot of protein shakes. You don't have to do any of that. You simply need to not lose your normal routine activity. Whatever you normally used to do, you don't want to give those up. And that's particularly problematic in people who retire. When post-retirement, there's a tendency for people to say, ah, no, whatever, I can wake up whenever I want. I can go whenever I want, I can rest whenever I want, um, and everything is elective. If you think about it, when you are working and you're earning a living, there is a schedule. You have to be at work at a certain time. You have to do certain chores, responsibilities as part of your job, and that makes you or forces you to be physically active. And now once you don't do that anymore, then there is a sudden reduction in physical activity. So you don't want to do that. So if you're going to retire, plan that post-retirement, you're going to be doing things. And what are you going to be doing to keep yourself at the same level as you used to be before? Now, when I say this to people, my, my clients, they sometimes say, oh my God, I was looking forward to retire. And now you're telling me I can't um, do this, I can't do that. And my answer to them is usually, no, do things that you like to do, um, fun things, things that, uh, not like when you used to work where you were forced to do certain things, but now you choose activities that gives you pleasure. Um, but then, of course, you have to look for those kinds of things and find a way to do it. Uh, and if you do keep doing that, that would be good. And many people say, how about if I just went for a walk? And if you think about it, went for a walk thing is very subjective because if you just go out, go out in your neighborhood and you see cute baby, you see a dog or whatever, or some scenery, or even if you see a neighbor and you start talking to them, then there's a disruption. 
yes, it's socially nice. You feel good because you talk to somebody and you saw something pleasant. And of course, the weather is nice. You enjoy the scenery, but it really doesn't fulfill the requirement to do an activity because it got disrupted. Uh, so I think it's good to choose an activity that you will consistently do and do it in a way that you would use all your muscles without much disruption. And my advice to clients is to try to dedicate the time when there's no distractions. There's no dog, there's no child or grandchild. There's nothing happening during that time. It's your time to do a physical activity. It can be any kind of physical activity. It can be dancing. It can be jump rope skipping. It could be treadmill, whatever. But make sure that it's a good happy hour for yourself where you're physically using all your muscles and keeping them up in good shape. And again, the idea is not to put on muscle. It's not the idea to build muscle. You're not trying to, you know, bulk up or whatever. Uh, and you don't need to change your nutrition and so on and so forth. So long as you eat balanced diet, there's no evidence that you need to do the, all that stuff. Uh, in other words, you don't need to drink a protein shake that Michael Jordan designed or uh, LeBron James drinks for you to bring, bring back your muscle. You just need to continue your normal physical activity and not reduce it. That's the key to maintaining uh, your body from having sarcopenia. Now, again, it's early days. Uh, now, if we find out that the gene turns on and despite you maintaining muscle activity, you keep losing muscle bulk, then we may have to intervene uh, some other way so that the sarcopenia doesn't come on. This is still a very early uh, research area, a lot of new investigation going on. Uh, the red two genes seems to be a real clue. And we and others are looking at ways to manipulate red two gene and see whether that would uh, make a difference. Uh, but that's where uh, things are. We're still working with it. Um, several people at the Hershey Medical Center are collaborating with us uh, to ask questions along, along these lines. Dr. Scott Kimball, uh, who is in our biochemistry and molecular biology department, has done some really pioneering work in this area. And Dr. Charles Lang, who's his colleague, also has done some really hardcore work in this uh, area. And uh, uh, they are uh, doing some really outstanding work, and we're lucky to be working with them to uh, answer these questions. Thanks for clearing that that up for us, Doctor Doctor Soup. It's a kind of a complicated thing because it's such an early stage in the uh, in the checking out what's actually going on. That uh, at this point, just just to make it a little simpler, we don't have to worry about running out in front of this problem and bulking up, like he said, and exercising and worrying. All we have to do is continue the same exercise program that you did up until this point. And it's, and it, but that could change, like you said. So if there's studies that show you can't just keep it the same, then we'll, on the podcast, we'll, we'll talk about that. But that'll, that'll be a major change. But right now, do what you have been doing, and you could ignore some, everything that's out there right now as far as trying to scare you that you're going to get this because the percentages are high and just, uh, just do what Dr. Soup said, take your medicine on time because what that does is that keeps you moving quicker. You know, if you if your medicines have a lot of off time, then you're slower. And if that percentage of slowness during the day is high enough, you can end up losing muscles. 
Is, does that make sense, Dr. Sue? Absolutely, right on the money. Good. And you were going to add something else? You said that uh, another part of this discussion? Well, um, not so much that, but, you know, there is a school of thought that there may be other types of medications that will um, perhaps uh, be useful. Um, these are medicines that are still investigational. It's not, uh, it's not available in the market, but there, there are a number of different compounds that people are looking at uh, that would potentially act on RED2, for example. And so those are being tested. Uh, it's early days. We don't have enough uh, data to recommend using any of these things. And of course, it'll take a little bit of time to figure this out. Uh, and then one real important caveat, which I wanted to, um, I always tell my clients, but it's also important way perhaps to emphasize it on this podcast, is that fall prevention. If you fall and you break a bone, no matter how well it gets treated, even if you have a screw put in and you're mobilized back, it still causes immobility. So one of the biggest downfalls in Parkinson's disease patients is that if they start falling. So fall prevention is a key thing. And if people don't fall and they don't get hurt, then uh, the likelihood of immobilization or bradykinesia having a toll on your muscle becomes much less. Now, also, if you think about it, if you lose muscle, it also reduces the bracing power of the body. For example, the muscles around your spine are the ones that give you structural stability if you have arthritis. And many people, as they get older, they develop arthritis of the spine, and there's aches and pains of the shoulder, the low back, etc., um, and the neck. And again, if you have nice, bulky, strong muscles that support each side of your spine, then the amount of pain that you suffer will be less. However, if you fall, you lose your balance and you fall, then you lose your muscle because you're immobilized, you don't move as much, and those muscles become weak, so they have less bracing power. So one of the key messages that I think the take-home point is that you don't want to fall. So fall prevention. Now, how do you go about doing that? You wanna exercise, balance exercises. And one good example of balance exercise that I tell my, my patients to do is to uh, draw a line in your house about 30 feet and walk that line one leg in front of the other as if you're doing the drunk driver test. This is a exercise that allows your brain to readjust for your balance. So center of gravity is constantly balanced over this one line. The more you do it, the better. So the recommendation is to do it 50 times all in one go. So 1,500 feet of tandem walking is what's recommended. Now, if you do this, what it does for your body is that it prepares you for a fall. Now, everybody knows that we're not going to work like a drunk driver test ever unless the cop pulls you over. You can never do it. And that's the point. The point is that you're not going to do it, but then when you get to a situation where you're on a slippery floor, you have a banana peel, you have a curb that you accidentally hit, or there was oil on the floor that you didn't know about, or it was dark and you got out and you're slipping, your body has built-in control systems that will deploy, and those deployable control systems is what you are 
exercising for by, by walking the straight line. So in other words, you're preparing yourself so that you don't fall. Now, why is this important? This is important because if you fall, then you're going to lose muscle mass. If you prevent falls, then you won't lose muscle mass because you won't be immobilized. So besides taking medicines and being on time and being active and not reducing activity, one last thing to remember is to uh, prevent falls. That's all I have to say. And just to follow up with that real quick, everything you do to keep yourself healthy and fit with everything we have in the podcast and everything you read about, it could all be undone with one fall. Right. And your spouse that starts out with a, as a spouse all of a sudden becomes a caregiver way before the time has come to just because you fell. So it's, it's a serious issue. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, thanks uh, for another good episode, Dr. Sue. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have you back. Yep. Real soon. Bye. Bye.